0: Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to a basketball edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of Land Grant Holy Land.com, your SB Nation site covering all things Ohio State athletics 24 7, My name is Matt Tiamanini, and I'm joined by the Land Grant Holy Land editor in chief and one of SB Nation's college network managers, Luke Zimmerman. Luke, did I get your, your title correct there?
1: I, absolutely, you did. You nailed it.
0: All right, cool. Well, happy Thanksgiving, Luke.
1: Likewise, buddy. Thanks for, for having me on to talk some hoops.
0: Uh, no, I know. We're a little early in the season, but we wanted to get a, a dive in here while it's big rivalry week for football. Little insert, little basketball in there to wet your palate for what's coming up later in the season. In the meantime, you can get all of the Land Grant Holy Land goodness at landgrantholyland.com, as well as on Twitter at landgrant33, as well as Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram. Luke, are we on like LinkedIn or anything, any other social media platforms that we should mention?
1: I think Alexis and I at one point were uh, trying to get a Pinterest going, but we haven't updated in some time, so I'm afraid our Pinterest board are uh. like. Dozens of subscribers on Pinterest are being left out in the cold. But. All, all six of them.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, you can find Luke on Twitter at Luke Zim. That's Zim with one M. And I'm on Twitter at Matt, And that's Matt with two Ts. Okay, Luke, like I said, much of Buckeye Nation's attention this week is focused on Saturday's Ohio State-Michigan football game. But as we record on Wednesday, we're about a third of the way through the OSU basketball team's non-conference schedule. And there's a lot of, I guess good and bad stuff going on with this squad right now either rightly or wrongly I think a lot of fans had fairly high expectations for the Buckeyes coming off of a kind of disappointing season last year and through four early season games I'm not sure how much of that optimism still remains as we've seen some of these sloppy first four games against not exactly high quality opponents what do you think if anything we can take from those first four games moving forward for this Ohio State team as they move through the rest of the non-conference schedule into Big Ten season?
1: Well, I think, you know, what we saw against NC Central in the second game, um, That that's, I think, that leftover residual angst that we're talking about that we're all acclimated to from the last season and change of, of Ohio State basketball under Thad Mata. But Providence, I think, you know... Uh, our, our Matt Brown is adamant that he doesn't think they're any good. I think that they're a decent team. They might be like a, they might have an outside shot at an NCAA tournament berth coming out of the loaded Big East. Uh, Ken Palm has them as, I think, the 63rd best team in the country right now. So, you know, Ohio State, looking the way that they did, I know they did let Providence back into the game in the second half. I, I'm, I'm fine if that's the new normal, the Providence game. I think we're in for a 21, 22, 23 win season with, you know, a, an NCAA tournament win or two. Maybe even they can steal their way into a Sweet 16. But uh, I don't think, you know... Maybe we shouldn't put too much stock in the best we've seen in this Buckeye team, but in the same light, maybe we shouldn't put too much in the worst. So a really uneven, disinterested team in front of tens of of family members and Blocko members (laughs) of NC Central I don't think Ohio State is as bad as they looked then and a lot of people freaked out about the Navy game. I think that's a tough game yeah. honestly, to go on the road to an unfamiliar environment in Annapolis playing against a scrappy team. Navy's not any good, but you know, they go really deep the roster because of uh, service requirements. They have like 23 players they can practice with. So, they pick the best 12. I know they're not going to be as good as, you know, probably even an NC Central or Western Carolina in sheer talent. Uh, the Navy Academy is just, you know, they're they're incredibly conditioned, disciplined. All the stereotypes that you have for service people, and they gave Ohio State, you know, all a run for their money. So I don't think that that was too bad of a win. Uh, NC Central will remain, I think, the uh, the monkey on the back, so to speak, from last season that we haven't really quite got off. Um, but Providence showed that it's possible. You know, if they blow out Jackson State tonight taping this on a Wednesday. The Buckeyes play this evening at 7 in, in VCA. Um, and, you know, they handle their business against Marshall. We'll see what they look like when when the going gets real here in a week or two when they start playing the likes of Virginia. And then in December, they've got Connecticut. who struggled a lot in their own right. Mm-hmm. Uh, CLA is definitely a really good team with, with one of the best players in the country. Uh, and then certainly on to Big Ten play when you don't really get any weeks off.
0: Yeah, One of the things that's really interested me so far with this first block of four games is that – the offense has really been fairly evenly distributed. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, though, I'm not sure. We've seen four players averaging in double figures and another one right there on the cusp of averaging double figures, but there hasn't been really somebody in each game you can go to, okay, when the going gets tough, this is who we're going to get the ball to. Out of those top five scores, Jay Sean Tate, Cam Williams, uh, Jaquan Lyle, Kade Bates, Diop who obviously missed the last game, and Trevor Thompson, who even though he's not starting, is averaging like 9.8 points a game. Has someone stepped out for you to say this is the go-to guy for the Ohio State offense when they need a bucket late in a game?
1: No, I mean, I think that continues to be probably their their biggest shortcoming is they just don't have anyone that's going to take over the game. I think KBD and Jay Tate have sort of the makeup. And even I think we've seen a little bit of J. Cole and Lyle in these last two games mm-hmm. as guys that can kind of take over and say, give me the ball in pressure situations. Uh, they don't have, though, just that. The guy and you know basketball has evolved you know maybe you don't necessarily need that if you have four guys who can kind of aggregate into the guy maybe that's fine but at some point this season I think that will probably burn them again uh you know it's it's been tough I guess on the recruiting trails for for Fad Mata and his team to of staff to identify and get somebody on board that can be that since D'Angelo left but Uh, I I don't I'm not worried about the lack of a guy as much as I was last year I think that you know those sort of role players are a season better you know they have been they've gone through the the trials and tribulations of last season and I think that they're going to be better for it when push comes to shove this year but there is you know there is some concern you were talking about Trevor Thompson and I was looking you know before we we hopped on air um, his uh his advanced metrics for scoring he's the best uh I think Uh, advanced offensive rating player that Ken Pomeroy uses amongst any of the Buckeyes. And and for a guy that's only playing about 40% of the minutes, that's pretty interesting. And I think that probably factors in not only the scoring that you talked about, but he's pretty efficient in terms of rebounding the ball, especially offensively.
0: Yeah. He, he is averaging um, about 7.3 rebounds a game, which is tied for the team lead with Jay Sean Tate. But let's talk about that. It's interesting. This is a guy who came in, uh, had a lot of playing time last year, was presumably going to be the starting center or power forward, however you want to uh, categorize him. But he comes into the season, and I was surprised, I'm not sure if you were, when <laughs> they tried out the starting five against Navy and and freshman Micah Potter is is taking the tip for the Buckeyes. That's something we knew coming into the season that Thad he told you and, and Matt Brown at Big Ten Media Days that they were anticipating these four new Buckeyes to play quite a bit. But I don't think that anybody foresaw... Micah Potter taking the starting spot from Trevor Thompson, even though Thompson is actually playing more minutes from him over the course of the entire season.
1: Yeah, I think the, the shocker to me isn't so much that a guy that may have been a little bit more acclaimed of a recruit would kind of usurp his place in the the rotation or whatever you want to say. But I think the surprise to me is that Trevor Thompson very nearly left the team last year to go undrafted, mm-hmm. draft, I guess, and play in Europe or play in the D League. Um, and so for him to you know, sort of check his ego at the door. And, you know, I think that's sort of a, another trend that we've seen in sort of modern professional basketball. You see the Spurs did this, I think with their, one of the first teams kind of switching mono Ginobili to the sixth man, even though he was clearly, you know, one of the, the most, effective players in the NBA for them and the Warriors had success their first championship run with Andre Iguodala who since you know, the, the ravages of time catch up to some of those dudes and they're not mm-hmm. what they were but those guys and they're essentially their prime like all-star caliber are coming off the bench so maybe they can use those as examples to get somebody like Thompson to to show that they're still going to get their minutes and he is still he's playing a higher percentage of minutes than Potter even though Potter is getting the starts you know when push comes to shove when you get into grind time or just like kind of critical minutes. I think you'll see Trevor Thompson out there more than you'll see the, the freshman.
0: Yeah. What's, what what kind of interests me about uh, Trevor Thompson is that, Notoriously, and this has been something that I think a lot of Ohio State fans have not been uh, too happy about over the course of most of Mata's run in Columbus, is that they're not exactly a great free throw shooting team. They're currently 313th in the country, shooting just under 61.5% from the free throw line. But Trevor Thompson, for a big guy, is 9 for 11 from the line. And that actually could be a difference maker between him and, and Potter, or maybe even David Bell, as they get into Big Ten season when it gets more rough and it gets down to closer games. Maybe that will be a, a a deciding factor to get him some of the playing time late in games. But speaking of Potter, we kind of knew that all four players were going to get some playing time coming into this season, and so far, three of the new Buckeyes, Micah Potter, CJ Jackson, and Andre Wesson, have all seen the floor. Obviously, Potter and Jackson probably more than, than Wesson, but the one guy who hasn't stepped on the floor yet for the Buckeyes is Derek Funderburk, and he... Could have been uh, arguably the biggest recruit coming in with this class. I know he hasn't been on the floor, so we can't say, "Well, he doesn't deserve it." But what's kind of the the rumors going on that he could be redshirted this year, even though a month before the season started, he kind of figured to be one of the guys pushing for some playing time in this rotation. Yeah, I
1: think just my read between the lines is he's just not there physically yet, and if if it takes a season of conditioning, strength and conditioning, kind of nutrition and adjustment to sort of the college student athlete requirements, just sort of time management as well as training. That's what it takes. That's what it takes. I think it's hard, you know, in this day and age of college basketball, seeing the likes of, you know, Dukes and Kentucky's Joe and State clearly isn't in that class, but as sort of the next tier down of programs, like you see these guys roll out four or five freshmen like it's no thing. And then those guys are competing for all American honors, all conference honors, national player of the years and going on in the NBA draft. The Buckeyes haven't been fortunate enough to get that. I mean, like, to be honest, Angela Russell wasn't supposed to be that, that guy, even though he was right. a five-star. I think everyone thought they would get two seasons out of him and that he could wind up being, you know, a lottery pick, but it might take a year or two for him to sort of grow into that. Instead, he exploded and was, you know, one of if not the best players in the country uh, his one season in Central Ohio coming from, up, up from Louisville. But, you know, I, I think... It's disappointing. It's hard, I think, as a fan not to be concerned. Very rarely do you see guys sort of redshirt and then come on. But, man, David Bell was a guy that I think nobody, especially those that, mm-hmm. that follow uh, the high school ranks, are talented recruiting crew uh, led by Charles Doss. Charles had seen David play in high school. And, like really was a little bit surprised that he was a take. He was a real project. Now that guy is, like, kind of jacked and he's playing well in limited minutes and looking confident and comfortable and if it takes you know Funderburk a year to kind of grow into that the way that it took Bell a, a little bit longer than maybe some folks would have liked I think that might be okay but especially for a team that like we've talked about doesn't really have a an it factor kind of I think it's a little concerning that maybe their highest regarded recruiter hasn't panned out
0: yeah David David Bell's been interesting this year he played in the first three games didn't play against Western Carolina but he came on in and in put in some pretty quality minutes against Providence. You know, he's only played about 20 minutes so far this season, just averaging a little over a point a game. But when he gave, when he was in the game against Providence, he was a difference maker. And so it might just be for a few minutes here or there, but it is nice to see somebody who wasn't really part of the projections for the rotation this year step up and, uh, and get some good quality minutes. What does that mean for these other players who are new? We talked a little bit about Potter, but C.J. Jackson has gotten – A lot of interest from from Buckeye fans because he is kind of a throwback to an old school point guard where we haven't really seen it because of you know kind of having someone like D'Angelo Russell kind of running it for a while and and Jaquan Lyle, who's a little bit more of a scorer. CJ Jackson, coming from Eastern Florida State, is kind of more of the traditional distributor at the point guard position. He's been a lot of fun to watch. How do you think he fits into this team moving forward as it gets into the tougher non-conference and then into the Big Ten season?
1: Yeah, when Matt Brown and I went to Big Ten Media Days and had a chance to talk to Jayshon Tate, KBD, and Coach Mata, the one thing that came out of all three of their mouths over and over was CJ Jackson. And it left me thinking that this guy was going to really, I think, be kind of the X factor for the team this year. And I agree, I've loved what I've seen. It's maybe been a little inconsistent, but I think that you know, just having... Ohio State really hasn't had depth at point guard. You know, even when Aaron Kraft was around, there were always a little bit of trepidations going to that that placeholder guy when he took him off the court. Like, what's that drop-off going to look like? And now, you know, we've seen something else Mata told us, you know, kind of in our, our time sitting there with some of the Ohio State beat, is just that – you know, the the traditional one, two, three, four, and five roles of basketball, the way they were defined in the 80s and 90s, that's kind of died by the wayside. So now sometimes you just play your five best or your five best that are, you know, to have enough juice to go. And and sometimes you wind up with a C.J. Jackson and a Jaquan Lyle at the same time. It's been interesting seeing, seeing those lineups. And I think, you know, Lyle needs to be spelled from time to time. He was not, I think, well-conditioned coming into Ohio State last year. He's in much better shape mm-hmm. now. But with him kind of taking on some of that scoring load, that's going to take away you know, the stamina if you want to go into like NBA 2K. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to burn himself out trying to score. And when that happens, having a CJ Jackson is invaluable,
0: I feel like. No, absolutely. It's, it's, it's exciting to know that there are guys, especially after we saw so many of last year's freshman class transfer out, to know that there is a reserve of players on the bench who can come in and maybe not be stars, but can serve a role on the team. Okay, so let's move forward. We talked a little bit about their upcoming schedule. Um, A week from tonight, as we're recording here on Wednesday, the Buckeyes will go down to Charlottesville, Virginia, and take on UVA that, you know, is 4-0. They're not necessarily one of the preeminent picks to be a Final Four contender, but they're a really good team, and they're the first benchmark that Ohio State will have to measure themselves up against to see how much progress they've actually made. They are, like Ohio State, kind of a team by committee without a star running the show at this point but they distribute it really well you live in the dc metro area so you probably see uva a little bit more than the traditional ohio state fan does what do you think about this matchup that either just about virginia or how ohio state might match up against them
1: Well, I think Virginia is tough because their whole, they're like, whereas Ohio State fans feel a little bit of an existential crisis without an it guy or without a score, Virginia is designed not to have one. Their whole team is just all predicated on defensive efficiency and sort of playing the selfless. Really, I mean, their head coach, Tony Bennett, is the son of Dick Bennett, the former Wisconsin coach who sort of built that boring but effective Wisconsin's, you know, slow as molasses you know i think out of 351 teams in tempo virginia is like 350 so they're not going to score 80 points ever um you know i guess they actually scored 90 in their last which goes to show you what i know but traditionally it's going to be a stretch for them to get much more than 70 75 points if they do their three points are falling um they're an efficient three-point shooting team um you know i think in streaks but where they really get you is their defense both on the two and the three i think that they're one of the, the best uh, two-point field goal percentage defensive teams in the country Uh, and just because they don't really have to focus on having you know an it guy scorer um, they're just able to to really sort of rotate a deep bench of talented guys that fit their system they're frustrating it's like playing against three or four Aaron Crafts at once right so I think that's going to be a tough draw for the Buckeyes like Ohio State, if they can keep it within five, they'll have a shot to win, but just sort of based if, you know, we've seen Ohio State not be able to make their free throws, that could factor in, and if Ohio State, you know, falls prey victim to the UVA sort of swarming defense in their their depth, then I think that's going to spell problems for the Buckeyes as well, especially having to go to Charlottesville and, uh, and and try to get the upset there.
0: Yeah, right now, UVA, as of this recording, there'll be another poll that comes out before the game. They're ranked seventh in the country. Uh, that. That might be one that's going to be tough for the Big Ten to get in that Big Ten ACC shootout, but it will kind of show us a lot about what Ohio State will be able to do moving forward. As you said, they are kind of a a Big Ten-style team in a lot of ways. You mentioned UConn, who is not having necessarily the best season for that program, especially by their standards, but the game that really interests me is that on December 17th, Ohio State's heading out to Las Vegas and will play a neutral site game against UCLA. They're currently 14th in the country, but they present something that's a lot different than what they've seen early in the season. They go up against a team that is led by a legit stud big man in TJ Leaf. He's a 6'10 forward. He's averaging over 20 points a game. He's actually one of six players for the Bruins who are averaging in double figures. That's a game that's going to be really interesting because that's really not what they've seen so far, whether in the games that we've already seen or in between now and mid-December. That's going to be a game that's going to really propel them into the Big Ten section of their schedule. Have you seen UCLA play much this year so far? I know Pac-12 after dark is usually reserved for football, but have you stayed up late and watched any of those UCLA games?
1: Yeah, I, I happened to catch, I can't remember who the exact opponent was. It was like a directional Cal school. I saw a little bit of that on like a Sunday um, and I'll tell you our, uh, college basketball editor, uh, Ricky O'Donnell is a big fan of, of Lonzo ball. They're like throwback six, six point guard who is long and just does a lot of different things. Well, that guy's a matchup nightmare for everyone at Ohio state included. I think, um, when Lonzo ball is on, it's, it's tough, especially with just sort of the talent that you mentioned. The wild card is that their coach is a guy that Ohio state fans are familiar mm-hmm. with. And, uh, and uh you know an old friend steve alford from indiana um who was at you know Iowa as as a head coach um alford is not great
0: i feel like
1: um (laughs) say the least to be charitable ucla fans have wanted him fired since the moment he stepped on campus and he's had some like weird like he kind of backed into a sweet 16 with a really really favorable draw after they barely snuck into the tournament i think his second season last year you know they kind of his also, hated by their fan base. They're, they're very angry people. Yeah. These fans do not like anything. Um, he They stuck by their coach, and uh, I think Oliver wound up penning a note that was saying, you know, the way we finished the season will eat at me forever. You know, we won't let this repeat. This can't and won't happen. It's all on me. He, like, I guess, forfeited some money out of his contract to try to make good with the fan base. They didn't take it, but they're stuck with him for at least, I think, one more year because he had just a huge contract that goes through like 2020, 2021 or something like that. Um, and I think it helps, though, when you get Leaf, when you get Alonzo Ball in, and they, they have some good role players. You know, they have his son Bryce is also yeah. by the fan base, surprised, but when he's on, he can really pop. He has some of his dad's three-point shooting acumen. His dad was a hell of a player for our audience too young to have seen him. But uh, <laughs> even if he's not that great of a coach and kind of a shitty guy, if I can curse on our podcast sure right. i'm gonna go i can sure uh steve alford kind of a bad dude did some really sh- suspect things that you can google when he was the head coach of iowa um and then also kind of bailed on new mexico where he was sort of trying to rehabilitate his career but i said i don't over nor there um if, if ohio state's able to win that i bet you know it comes down to the coaching advantage for all the the grief that ohio state fans give thad Madai, you know there was this mean stereotype that he's the world's greatest uh, grocery shopper with the world's worst cook. I don't agree with that. I think that he's a better X and O's coach, at least when he has good assistants, um, which goes to show a lot of CEO type coaches. You know, if you have a good, if you have a good bench, you're only as good as the next guy after you. But and I think you know, right now, not that you know, you ever want to lose a Jeff Bowles, but I think getting Chris Jent back and letting him kind of reinvigorate not only just the players, but that staff to kind of make everybody else more accountable. I think that's good, good for Ohio state, good for both the short and long-term feature of the program. If that Mata is able to kind of get the momentum back, get kind of beyond last year's disappointment, you know, Jent's a guy that a couple years down the road, if Mata decides to hang it up for health reasons, could be on the short list to replace him. So um, Ohio state, you know, has a coaching edge there. They don't have a talent edge. We'll see. I think uh, if you have to, Gun to my head, if I have to pick one of these teams to upset, I'll go with Virginia, just because Virginia might not have enough offense, even if their defense is that good. As bad as UConn's been, we saw what UConn did to Ohio State a year ago. I'm not gonna, <laughs> you know,
0: fool me once. <laughs> yeah, don't want to uh, put your head back into that line.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, you know, I think Ohio State has, you know, best case scenario they go two and one. Worst case scenario, obviously they lose all three. It won't undo their season, but. Getting one of those, I think, would be great. We saw last year they were able to steal a win against Kentucky, so who knows? You know, we'll. Uh, I'm, I'm not full blown negative. As unfun as Ohio State basketball has been, there's a little bit of a spark there. I think so. It's it's all's not lost yet.
0: Yeah, it's it's been pretty brutal. I, I think between you and me, I think we've either live tweeted or recapped the games most of the games so far this season, and it's it's been kind of painful to watch at times, uh, both because it's a lot of sloppy play, a lot of turnovers. Some of the officiating has just been, I've never seen more offensive fouls called in a game than I did earlier this season. I think it was the, the second game, was at the NC Central game? It was weird.
1: College basketball always tends, I feel, to sort of cater more to the ref show type officiating, but I don't know what their point of emphasis in the offseason was, but it has just made oh, college basketball just grind to a halt. I was watching some like random Butler game when I was flying down to see some family the other night uh, for Thanksgiving, and uh, I was watching the Butler game on the flight, and it just say, Butler won by like thirty, and it still was just there's so many stoppages, and it's just like the the sort of one and done system that the NCAA, or I guess really more the NBA has implemented has already done enough damage to the quality of play. Like the last thing we need is the officials making it just. <laughs> dreadful to tune in but I'm still optimistic Big Ten play like even with crappy officiating even with up and down hot and cold basketball I think it's still always fun Um, can we get there with you know Ohio State still sort of controlling their destiny in terms of the postseason hopefully um, but I'm, I'm still not, not full-blown pessimist as, as unfun as it's been, and like you mentioned, to cover in many ways. Um, I'm still just kind of, you know, it's the, not conference, especially the early games are always tough, unless you have just a really special, fun team. You know, we were spoiled by, I think, the first, you know, eight of ten years or whatever of the Mata era, when we're just dunking on everybody, but um, we'll see. I think if, if Ohio State can keep growing and kind of keep getting into their game, we can, we can probably win some hearts and minds as we get closer to, to Illinois on January 1st.
0: Works for me. All right, real quick, I want to get you out on on two quick topics. You mentioned Chris Gent, and one of the reasons he was brought back to Ohio State, he was obviously a player at Ohio State, probably my favorite player growing up. He was then a coach at Ohio State for a while. He's had his turn as a coach around the NBA, and he's come back. And one of the things that he really hangs his hat on is being able to coach individual and team shooting. That has not been a strength for Ohio State in recent years, whether that was because of the coaching staff or just some of the players, currently they Don't look very good shooting from a three-point percentage. They're at 114th in the country. They're 73rd in terms of field goal percentage. And a lot of that is coming because they've scored a lot in the lane, whether it's on offensive rebounds or guards cutting into the lane. Has there been anything, other than Cam Williams really going off for 20 in that game against Navy, has there been anything from a shooting perspective that you've seen this year that makes it look like that light might have been switched on in the offseason and might continue to progress as we get deeper into this season so that maybe the shooting won't be as atrocious as it has been in recent years.
1: Yeah. I don't feel like Ohio state has necessarily the pure shooters outside of cam. That's a big part of the problem. I don't know if the numbers reflect this. So this is like as much of an analytics guy as I am, this is like just completely unsubstantiated. Like I did not do any homework to make this statement. It was <laughs> like my, you know, Fair enough. Oakland A's money ball. Like we put our pants on one leg at a time analysis, but uh, like old school scouts. But I feel like, anecdotally, Jay Sean Tate, his stroke looks a little better to me. Um, I have no idea if that's substantiated by stats. He seemed confident when I, when I talked to him in person at Big Ten Media Days. And I feel like in the early going, even though the numbers don't reflect that, like maybe mechanically he's a little bit tighter. It's just, you know, if you don't have shooters, you got one guy on the team that can really shoot. You know, you're not going to – you can't turn, uh, you know, turds into diamonds. So um, I'm not saying Ohio State <laughs> is turds necessarily. But they're, they're – I think – at least their two-point shooting advanced stats are fine and kind of prepping for this podcast. Um, they're not elite. Uh, and even though I think three-point is like just around 100 in the country, which is not great, obviously. When you compare it to some of the Big Tens elite, that's, that's yeah. problematic. Yeah. But there are 350 college basketball teams who are in the top 33 percentile, and you're not a great shooting team. That might be okay. Uh, free throws, I think, is still the thing. I don't... I don't know because it's just been going on for seemingly so long. Like even when Aaron Kraft was still the buckeye, it was a thing. Um, I feel like just that that John Calipari Memphis team that like somehow survived all season because they had Derrick Rose and then they made the national title game and their free throw shooting finally like cost them the national title. Like that's not gonna happen to Ohio State. Ohio State's <laughs> not that good, but it could cost them a Michigan game, or it could cost them a game against like Wisconsin. So um that still remains like. Hey, all the mechanics, all the, you know, Chris Gent kind of shot in the rear, you know, that he brings to the table in terms of motivation is great and good and I think will help Ohio State long term. Uh, But, like, I just don't understand why they can't sort that out. Is it mental? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me.
0: I think there are many Buckeye fans, myself included, that are right there with you. That, and it seems like Ohio State misses a lot of layups as well. I don't know what that is. It seems like that's been going on for years uh, as well, whether it's putbacks or bunnies or whatever it is. But we'll chalk those things up as things that we aren't intelligent enough to understand because clearly if they were fixable, I would hope that the coaching staff would be able to fix those. But the last thing you mentioned that you think Ohio State, you know, very likely could have 20 to 21 wins somewhere around that. I think that's where in our preview episode of this podcast, Matt Brown and I both kind of pegged Ohio State to be there, maybe in the sixth, fifth, sixth, seventh range uh, in the Big Ten tournament, then obviously that probably translates to a five or six seed in the NCAA tournament. Has there been anything that you've seen so far, whether it's from Ohio State's performance or maybe some of the other things that you've seen from Big Ten teams or nationally that maybe changes your expectations either one way or the other for Ohio State season? No, I mean, I,
1: I'm not a, a chicken little Ohio State basketball fan. I've watched this team. I've seen, you know, I... I I've missed very few games in the course of the last three years and the one I watch or the ones I miss I try to at least watch a condensed version of or, or get as much highlights as I can and, and read up on what happened. And I just you know I don't I think this this feels fine. Like last year's team, clearly, like I think from the get-go it's it's hard pressed to be optimistic when you watch a team that like has as many critical problems as that one. I'm still feeling okay. I think if Ohio State gets to Virginia 6 and0, um, Mar- Marshall, I think is a sneaky challenge potentially they're about a top 120 team but if ohio state can get past jackson state tonight marshall before the weekend um you know and they can be competitive with virginia i'll feel great if they go in and like lose by like 20 or 30 to virginia okay maybe i'm starting to 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 ask myself some questions but yeah i think uh you know michigan state has done nothing in the early part of the season to convince me that they're the same team that we've seen the last couple years um wisconsin looks very beatable nebraska is is there penn state has not really turn the corner. Um, so I think if you have, you know, Minnesota, I think has been a team that's played a little bit better than I expected. And so is Rutgers, but those are still teams Ohio state should beat. Um, Illinois kind of is what Illinois is at this point. Like John gross, former bad motto system is kind of just hanging on um, there. But uh, yeah, I mean, Purdue is clearly really good. We saw a good Indiana team lose. Um, and that kind of is is gonna be a challenge. But if, you know, Indiana University, Purdue University, Fort Wayne can beat the Hoosiers and Tom Crean, not the Buckeyes when they have that like Saturday game to end the season, right? So
0: Tom Crean. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, if if there wasn't a better metaphor for the entire world that Tom Crean is a Harbaugh in law, like that that just explains everything. Like I don't think there needs any more explanation to how Buckeye fans feel about Tom Crean.
1: I mean, I guess the the thing that I will give Tom Crean credit for and IUPUFW's whatever, IPFW, I don't know what their acronym even is, uh, their coach was incredibly gracious to Crean. I mean, and I give him a lot of credit. Crean went to IPFW's gym, and, like, they lost, yeah, but he had the guts to do it. And say what you will, like, taking a a guaranteed game against a team like that, knowing that you're going to guarantee to sell out their gym – there's something to that. As weird of a dude as Kareem is, as easily memeable as he is on the internet, as much as we make fun (laughs) of him and, you know, love when Indiana gets upset. They had a great year last year. I think they're still poised to take what they can from this loss and learn from it. And they're going to be one of, if not the best teams in the Big Ten. You know what? Actually, a team that I will give credit for, and this is not the week to do that, has been Michigan. They look kind of scary good to me. So um, that's one that I have circled as, like, you know, I think Ohio State, I might be wrong, but I think they have that stupid thing again where they only play them once. Yep, and it's in Ann Arbor. Right. That's that's a really tough game. Um, John Bieland's a heck of a coach, and they look much better than I anticipated. So um, we'll see. I think, like, they're one of, if not the highest-ranked Ken Palm teams in the Big Ten right now. Wisconsin, I think their numbers are up there too, but I still feel like Ohio State can get a split with them. Um, you know, Greg Garb or whatever. Uh, who? It um, <laughs> doesn't scare me as much as Bo Ryan and taxes or whatever. So um, I, I, I think we'll, uh, Ohio State's well positioned to compete in a good league. I think you know even they can compete against even a Purdue who has just got one of the best players in the country. And um, you know we'll see, we'll see, uh, we'll learn more. I think in the next month when we, we if we if we circle back a month from now, we'll we'll know much more what this Ohio State team is than we do now. But I'm still optimistic. I'll say 21, 22 wins is about where I think they're still headed.
0: I'll take it. Thank you for listening to this Ohio State basketball episode of Hangout in the Holy Land. You can find all episodes of the podcast on landgrantholyland.com, SoundCloud, iTunes, and wherever else you get your daily dose of podcast goodness. So, for Luke Zimmerman, I'm Matt Tamanini. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you soon. Go Bucks. Go Bucks.